0: Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast, the show empowering and educating people on how they can grow, manage, and protect their wealth through real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Bailey Kramer.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast. The goal of this show is to break down complex real estate investing strategies that you can use to grow, manage, and protect your wealth. I'm your host, Bailey Kramer, and today we are joined by our very special guest, Alex Olson, to talk with us about creative financing. Alex Olson was able to go from zero doors to 11 doors in just 18 months using other people's money. Alex set out to buy investment properties in some of the most sought-after areas of Kansas City. He successfully secured nearly two million dollars worth of real estate without putting in any of his own money. Today, Alex helps people secure apartment complexes in Kansas City. Welcome to the show, Alex.
0: Hey, great. Thanks for having me, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you go ahead and start with telling the listeners a little bit more about your background and how you got into real estate investing?
0: Yeah, no problem. So in, in my background was in creative financing or really it was in financial technology. And, um, I always had this desire to purchase real estate and I didn't want to purchase just any real estate. I wanted it to be in a a great location, but, um, like most people in the world, I don't have a lot of money. I didn't have really any money, a W2 job and, and no real, real way to, to go beyond that. And, uh, you know, I tried the savings route, but we weren't really super uh, I mean, we saved a lot, but it wasn't really for investment purposes. And so, what I what I did from there was, I said, you know, how can I how can I leverage what I already have and what I already know to buy real estate? And that's where, you know, on the Bigger Pockets podcast and some of those other places, people talk about using other people's money, right? And my strategy is, I don't have wealthy friends. I don't have wealthy family members. I don't have any private lenders I can go to. I didn't have a mentor or really anything to, to go off of other than books and podcasts and, and just you know very basic stuff. And so what I did was I, I kept reading and reading and reading. And, and one of the things that I came across that I liked was using a home equity line of credit to buy real estate. And there's, you know, pros and cons to that risk versus reward and how much money do you have in your home equity line of credit, how much money are you willing to spend to that on on real estate. And that's really kind of what I used as my basis for my very first set of investments. Um, And so I used that large home equity line of credit, I was blessed and lucky enough to have uh, an asset in my house that I built to be able to pull pull out that that line of credit. So I went to the bank and said, hey, look, here's my house, here's what it's worth. Um, they agreed mostly, and um, then I had this line of credit that I can use to do whatever I wanted with. But I really wanted it to be in what I would classify as special location. So uh, I think you know it sounds super repetitive, almost boring, and, and you're kind of gonna glaze over it, but is the location, location, location mentality. I wanted something that matter what was going on in the world, there's something anchoring my property. So the properties that I have are all within two blocks of something major, either a school, meaning a university, or a hospital, or some large new development like in Kansas City, the streetcar. And so all, all of the properties I own are within two blocks of that. And um, it's not cheap buying in those areas, as you can imagine, uh, but Kansas City is an affordable market. And so that's another thing that was for my advantage is, you know, I, ha- I live in an affordable market. And so, um, and then I, I, you know, really watched the market. All of these deals, almost all of these deals were all on-market deals. And some people are very much like, oh, you can't buy anything on-market because it's not going to be worth anything and you're going to overpay for it and all that kind of stuff which isn't necessarily true if you are watching the market well enough and you're persistent in what you're looking for and very, very diligent. And so I, of course, I've got alerts on all my different um, uh, you know, websites and everything else out there. So I was able to pick apart different pieces of the market that were stuff that either sat on the market for a long period of time or uh, maybe were overpriced. And so when I talk about creative financing and and using other people's money, it takes, it always takes two to tango. And so you've got to find something or somebody that's willing to take on a creative financing strategy. And so the first thing I was able to find is you got to find the right bank. Okay. So I found the right bank that was able to do a, a large home equity line of credit. And then you got to find the right seller and the right seller is you know has to be somebody that is either they're not desperate but they want to sell or they're tired of it being on the market forever or they they uh, know that the price is too high and so you have to create a win-win situation for everybody and this this strategy is you know is basic you can use this on single family homes you can use this on uh large complexes I have a client of mine right now who is, you know, close to under contract on a, on a very large complex using a piece of it as creative financing. And it all just has, has to be that people are, are willing and interested. And so that's really the basis of creative financing.
1: Okay. Awesome. So your first deal, home equity line of credit, that's kind of how you got it started what were some other pieces of the deal. And what did you do next after you got that home equity line of credit?
0: Yeah, so I now I have this home equity line of credit sitting in my bank and it's not doing anything for me, but it's also not costing me any money. So I could afford to be patient with it. And so again, that comes back into the wait strategy, wait for the right opportunity. And so I use that home equity line of credit. I I had it sent in my bank and then I went out and I finally put something on a contract. So I bought a duplex and it was two blocks from the University of Kansas Medical Center um, it was way overpriced to start. Sat on the market for six months, which is a very long time for that market. Didn't have the greatest of pictures. You know, it was advertised as a two-bedroom, one bath for each unit, but it was actually a three-bedroom, one bath because the the one unit just wasn't. They, they considered it a closet, but it was or a, an office, but it was actually a, a bedroom. It just didn't have a closet, which in Kansas City is is acceptable. So. I went into it and gave you know finally agreed upon a price i then went to the bank that i had the home equity line of credit with and drew down that amount of money that i needed for the for the uh down payment okay and typically on a duplex you know there's many different ways to skin a cat but when you're starting out the best possible loan rates and terms you can get is with a a mortgage on the secondary market which is you know it's gonna be backed by fannie mae or freddie mac and you can do that on investment properties for anything that's four units or less. And um, so that's what I really wanted to go after because you get a 30-year fixed rate, it's gonna be the lowest rate you can get typically. Um, it's also gonna be a 30-year term, which is important. You know, Once you, once you step outside of Fannie Freddie uh, back loans, then you get into you know, where, where the term is only gonna be five years or maybe seven. And so you wanna make sure that on your first deal that you can maximize that thing the most you can. But you also have to have the right income and expense ratios and and finding a really good bank that's willing to walk through that with you is important. So that's what I did was I went to a good bank and and they were able to kind of show me a little bit more of the ropes of, okay, you need 25% down because it's more than one unit. And I said, okay, well, great, but I'm using a home equity line of credit to finance that 25% down and they were okay with that. Some banks aren't. Um, And so that's how I was able to secure that very first property. I went, I guess I ended up, I did end up using an agent on it because I I was not an agent at the time, but um, I really kind of secured the deal on my own until I got to a point where I needed an agent to complete the contract for me. So that's what I did with my first deal.
1: Okay, awesome. So what kind of advice would you give to someone who maybe doesn't even know what a HELOC is or has equity in their home and is now considering using a HELOC? What advice would you give to them?
0: Yeah. So on a HELOC or a home equity line of credit, you can um, basically, let's say, for example, your, your house that you live in is worth, uh, let's call it a hundred thousand dollars for simple math. Okay. And uh, and you don't owe anything on it. You've paid it off because you worked hard or whatever the case may be. So you owe, not, owe nothing on it. So now you have an asset sitting there that's worth $100,000 that you're not using any of that equity in, which is fine. But for somebody who wants to do more with what they own, you can go to a, a local bank, um, find, find, you know, call around. The first thing you got to do is call around. Hey, do you offer a home equity line of credit? And then you'll start to know. What you know? What kind of rates and terms they can give you? Some people, some banks only allow for maybe your line of credit to be uh, up to 50% of the value. So, in the hundred thousand dollar example, they're going to give you a a home equity line credit of fifty thousand dollars, and then some banks are able to do up to 80%, maybe even 90% of the value of your of your property. And so, in that case, if they give you 90% uh you know you'd have ninety thousand dollars that could you could use to invest in and on a home equity line of credit usually the interest rates are oftentimes it's interest only payments um you know at pretty reasonable rates i don't remember what exactly they were offering me uh at the time but then you also have uh the place where i got mine from which actually has a um it's more of a hybrid loan so it it does pay off over time and it's a traditional amortizing product once you start drawing on the on the, uh, on the the loan. So looking for, you know, I did a lot of research. I spent probably um, two months just researching where I could get the biggest and best home equity line of credit. And so that's very important to do when you are considering that option.
1: And besides the local banks, are there any other sources that you recommend people go check out to get their HELOC?
0: I would say, yeah, I mean, the first place I always, and the first place I went to was I talked to the bank that I was using at the time, you know, for most of my personal stuff. And then, okay, well, they weren't really offering me the best. So then, yes, I started calling. I said, I, a lot of times banks did like to trade information back and forth and help each other out if they're, you know, nice. So I always ask somebody, say, hey, you know, okay, you can't do it for me. What are the three other banks that you know of that can? And so that's really the way that I did it. Now, of course, you can Google it and find out. You can go on bigger pockets and ask. Um, you can go on LinkedIn and ask, which I love LinkedIn for, for this kind of stuff. Um, and, and ask, you know, who people have used what and when, but typically it's a local bank, but, uh, you know, like a U.S. bank or, or even a bank of America, they may offer a service like this. I'm not sure.
1: Okay. Awesome. So you did your first two bedroom well, really a three bedroom deal. What was the next steps for you?
0: So that was a, a, a very vacant, it, by very vacant, I mean it was 100% vacant building. The tenants had just moved out. Um, you know, the 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 bank was a little bit hesitant on even closing out the deal because it was vacant. But luckily for me, um, I was pretty sure the location was solid and I started advertising even maybe before I should have, before it was closed, uh, but I knew I was gonna buy it. So at the time i advertised on zillow i I was doing all my own uh property management at the time and so i knew i needed to get that thing filled fast because every book you read everybody you talk to the biggest revenue killer is vacancy and so i did i don't know 10 showings in a week and fumbled through showings and and those kind of processes but the one thing that you have to do before you do any of that, you either have to have your property management in place that that you know that they're going to take care of your property and get it your place leased, or if you're managing it yourself, you've got to have a lease ready. You got to have how you're going to collect money ready. You know, you got to have uh, all your legal documents beyond just a lease available. Like, if, are you going to accept pets? So there's a whole slew of things that you have to be prepared to do before you even you know lease out of property and so one of the most important books i read that was very basic but that's all i needed was the uh, the book by brandon turner on uh, rental property or investment property management something like that it's a brandon turner's you know property management book and uh it's a really good just basic here's the steps you go through you first of all you got to do this then you do that and, you do, and, and it even includes if you buy the book it includes the basics of the documents. So even if you choose a property management company, it gives you a basic lease, it gives you a a pet rent, it gives you a notice of non-renewal. So you have those at least as a starting point if you ever need it and you didn't have it prepared by your attorney, which I definitely didn't at the time. Um, you know that that's the the whole key to you know if you don't have a property management, how you got to get started.
1: Right, right. And for that first property, did you guys use a property manager or did you self-manage it?
0: I manage it myself. Um, I still do manage it myself. I've turned over the leasing reins to other uh, people, but um, you know I use a, a system to manage it myself. And so I use a, a service called Cozy, excuse me, which is a free service that anybody can use. I think there's a limit on the number of properties and, and you know apartment units that you can have on there for free but it collects the money for you for free. It sends it to you for everything's free on there. And so I also made it as part of that. uh, You know, I try to make everything as simple as possible myself. And so, you know, the only type of rent payment I accept is through Cozy. The only type of application I accept is through Cozy. You know, so I keep it all in one place so that way I can manage it myself because I'm too busy to, you know, mess around with the basic stuff of collecting rent that just should come automatically.
1: Right. So after you used your HELOC, what were some other creative financing sources you used to use OPM or other people's money?
0: Yeah, so I used part of my HELOC on that. I had uh, additional money available from the HELOC, so I bought a fiveplex using that same uh, kind of strategy. But again, that was going from a Fannie Freddie loan to now I'm going to a a fiveplex, which requires a true commercial loan. And so that's where you got to go out and find a, a portfolio lender to go in there and, um, you know, make sure that they can, you know, that they're going to be able to service loan, keep the loan on their books. And once you get up above four units, then you get into, you know, uh, now we're on a five-year term, maybe it's a 25 year amortization schedule. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a lot different way of looking at things, but that's what I did for my second property. And then after that, uh, I decided that, I, well, I didn't have much money left one and then two, uh, I wanted to just keep buying, even though I didn't have any money. Again, remember I didn't have any rich, wealthy people, anybody around me, still didn't really have a mentor. Uh, I just, I, but I love doing, I love doing deals and, and, you know, acquiring stuff in great areas. So I found a property that, uh, had been sitting on the market for six months. It was advertised as a office space but it was a single family home that had been converted into an office space. And it was about a block from Children's Mercy Hospital and Truman Medical Center, which uh, I knew that they were doing a a huge, you know, $150 million expansion to that hospital. So I knew that that was in my wheelhouse of what I wanted. And so I talked to the owner a couple times and her price, she was very pretty firm on her price. And, but I knew that I wanted that property. So I would check in with her every single month, sometimes every other week. If I was, if I thought that she was, you know, getting closer to accepting my terms and my terms were not necessarily seller financing, although that's what, you know, most people classified as, but it was really a lease purchase option. So again, I like to keep everything as simple possible. And I also like to make sure that everybody wins on the deal because, you know, my reputation is important to me. And I also just, you know, I want to treat people well. So I presented a a lease purchase option tour, which was really two parts. So a lease purchase option, you have a a contract to buy at a certain price at a certain point in time. So that price is locked in and so is that point in time where then you, at that point in time, you go into a normal um, uh, contract to buy. So you go to the normal title company. A title company can help you with all that. You don't need an agent for it, so you you hire a title company and they basically help you get it closed. And then, so that's one document is the contract to buy. Then the other document is the actual lease, which is just like your normal rental lease. So your normal, uh, you know, hey, I'm renting an apartment. That lease it just says I'm going to pay X amount of money per month. I'm going to do all these things. Uh, so I I negotiated that uh, piece, both those pieces with her, and I kept it very simple. If here's what I'm going to pay you each month, it's interest only. None of it goes towards principal and here's some down payment money uh, that I was able to, to have, but you know, it wasn't nearly the 20% that I needed. I didn't have that. And so um, I needed a creative way to, to get it done. So that's what I did on that side. I think it was 5% down, maybe 7% down. So that's a lot less than you know, 20% that I needed. Um, and then I went ahead and, and uh, converted that office space into an Airbnb house uh, that has, you know, I added a bedroom, I redid everything. And it is almost like a a flip job, but I, <laughs> I didn't flip, but I still have it. And, um, you know, it does, it does well enough. It's, you know, right now is not a great time uh, of the market to do Airbnb work, but you know, it, it, uh, it's a great asset and a great location. It's only to increase in value.
1: So this lease purchase option. So there's kind of two parts to it. The first part, you don't actually own the property. You're leasing it from the owner and you're collecting the rents and making money from that. And you're just paying interest only to the owner. At what point do you become the owner? And have you come to that point on this property?
0: I haven't come to the point where I own this property yet. Um, but it's, it's very clearly in the contract of when that time is supposed to be. And you can have, depends on what the owner wants and what you want as the, as a buyer, you know, do you want it to be 18 months? Do you want it to be a year? Sometimes maybe the owner says, hey, look, I'll give you six months. Um, so you really have to, again, negotiate on what's gonna be best for everybody. With this particular property, I had originally set a year long contract on it, but with the Airbnb market being the way it was and is, um, you know, I had three or four other houses that were also doing the same thing, and I didn't have any cash flow. And so I went back to the owner and, and kind of asked him, says, hey, are you happy with how this is going? You know, you're getting a check every single month and um, I'm paying your t-. There's other things, too. And I was paying her taxes and all this other stuff. And so um, you can negotiate an extension. So I got a six month ex- extension on that uh, to give me a bit more time to to uh, to be able to purchase that outright.
1: And just to clarify, you're not obligated according to the contract to actually buy it. That's kind of where the option comes in, correct?
0: Yeah, so it's a lease purchase option. So you have the option to buy it. Um, I'll give you another example. So um, I spent a lot of money on another property that was a couple blocks away from University of Missouri, Kansas City campus. Nice, large house, best house I had from a single family home perspective. Um, but the numbers just weren't working out. And I, I gave, I gave the owner a certain percent down on it. I had every intention to buy it, but it was a lease purchase option. And it came to the end of the, um, of the lease and I couldn't buy it. I just didn't have the money. It wasn't really going to work out. I could tell from the outset that the long run on it wasn't, wasn't going to be a good buy for me. Uh, and so the best thing I could do was, was give the property back to the owner. And, um, you know, uh, everybody kind of understood that, Hey, this is just a lease purchase option and the lease option didn't work out. And that's where we left it. And we're still, um, you know, cordial
1: today. Oh, that's awesome. So the lease purchase option, it gives you and the owner the flexibility to kind of test it out and see, you know, for you, do you like the property? Is it something that you want long-term? And then also for the owner, you know, does he or she want to sell the property So that kind of is really mutually beneficial.
0: Yeah, it's, it's worked really well for me. Um, You know, I, I, there's a couple other instances where I, you know, so there's another instance, very similar, almost in the same block, actually another house I did, I've done the same thing, but on that particular project, I negotiated a two year uh, lease purchase option on that one. So we had some more time left on, on that property. And on that one, I wanted to keep it as simple as possible, but the, the owner wanted me to pay more towards principal. Okay. So I was and I would lose all that money if the deal stopped. Right. And so that particular one is I am paying him a principal pay down each and every single month, which is fine with me because I have confidence that I want to buy it. And you know, the house performs well for me from an Airbnb perspective. So again, that's another win-win situation for everybody.
1: Right. So what tip would you give to somebody who, really wants to start out in real estate, but doesn't have much money in their pocket. What, what, what tip would you give them?
0: Yeah, if
1: you, a um, couple
0: things. One is if you don't have much money and you're not really able to save because of you know, your W-2 job, but you want to get started in real estate investing and you don't have, if you have a significant other, you know, make sure that they're on board with it. Um, that's the very first thing you don't want to start a a fight between you and your spouse or whatever. Um, but beyond that, what you want to do is see what assets you have. What assets do I have? Okay. I own, I own meaning I've got a mortgage on this house, whether it's a condo or anything. And I've owned it for three or four years or two years, depending on the market. And I think there's probably some equity I can pull out in that. And so that's where you can call around to your local bank, maybe you can only get ten grand, maybe you can get twenty five thousand um It really just depends on your market of where you want to be investing to to use that those funds. so that's the very first tip and the safest really way to do uh your first investment.
1: Are there any major misconceptions around the idea of using the Heloc or the lease purchase option or any other kind of creative financing strategy that you've used?
0: Yeah, I think the misconception, one on the HELOC, the misconception there is that, oh, my gosh, you don't want to use that. You don't want to be over leveraged on your house, um, which is true. Okay, you don't, I would never recommend somebody taking out a home equity line of credit to put a pool in their backyard or to, you know, redo a bathroom or something. Um, That's not something that I would do because, you know, it's something that you need to save up your own money for and, and you're not really helping your own uh wealth doing that i mean sure your home increases in value but um you know if you're using the home home equity line of credit in the right way you're not using it to buy cheeseburgers you know or, or whatever the case may be you want to use it for uh investment purposes and so that's one thing that you know definitely do tons of research on to get over that hurdle if that's impacting your your uh, psyche and then on the lease purchase option um, I think there is some stigma there that owners aren't gonna wanna do that, okay? But guess what? The owner that sold me the, or is selling me the house that's near Children's Mercy, she told me no probably a dozen times that she'd never do that, okay? And so over six to nine months, she finally said yes. Now, you know, that's not gonna happen every single time, but that's uh, the thing that you've gotta get around is it never hurts to ask.
1: Definitely, definitely. So besides the HELOC and the lease purchase option, are there any other creative strategies that you recommend or maybe that you've used or are planning on using? There are other ones
0: that you can use. And I don't know 100% if I'd say I recommend them. I've used them. And um, one of which is, and again, this has got a bad stigma around it, but is a, uh, a personal loan. Okay. I'm not talking about a payday loan or something that's got, you know, two, three, five, 600% interest rate. I'm talking about a, a personal loan from like um, a Prosper or a Lending Club or uh, a SoFi, something like that that has a reasonable interest rate where you can get, and there, it's non-recourse, meaning it's not gonna, uh, I shouldn't say it's non-recourse, but it's, it's you don't have to have uh, collateral for it, meaning you don't have to give them a bike, you don't have to give them a, a boat or anything. It's just um, it's gonna impact your credit, okay, negatively. But if you have that interest payment, that interest in the uh, principal interest payment built into your model of what you're of what you're trying to buy, a lot of people use hard money, okay? To, I'm gonna buy this thing, I'm gonna get hard money loan, I'm gonna flip this house, whatever it is, I'm gonna use a hard money loan. Well, that's like, you know, 10, 12, 15% interest rate on your first deal you might be able to get a personal loan for thirty dollars to $50,000. And it might only be 6%, 9% interest rate over seven years. You know, so um, that's one thing that I would be very cautiously considering uh, because I don't have access. I didn't at the time, didn't know any hard money lenders. And again, I didn't know any private money guys. I didn't know any of this stuff. And so even if you don't know anybody in real estate, my point is using a personal loan only for a real estate acquisition and only if you understand what the payments are going to be is acceptable, but you got to do it correctly.
1: <laughs> right, right. And there's so many different strategies out there and we're kind of just highlighting a few here, but you're, no, you really have to find what works best for you and you know, go from there.
0: Exactly. Are
1: there any last things you want to add about creative financing before we move on to the next section of our show?
0: Uh, I would just, the only other piece of creative financing is one of the things I love about real estate is you can do anything. I shouldn't say you can do anything, but there's a lot of different things you can do to secure a property. So don't give up just because two or three different things didn't work out for you.
1: Right. So now we're going to move on to the next section of our show, which is the big four, where we ask all of our guests the same four questions. So number one, Alex, what's your number one habit for success?
0: The number one habit is persistence. And I think you could kind of hear that through my story of being on top of people and not giving up, checking in. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Look, everybody's in this world together. And so even if you're just checking up to say, hey, people start to... Remember that they might not remember the first six times you reached out to them, but maybe that seventh time on persistence. So finally, say, Okay, yeah, uh, I'm available now. Let's talk. And so that's my number one thing.
1: Yeah, persistence is key. So, number two, limiting beliefs are thoughts in our heads that hold us back from realizing our potential. What is one limiting belief that you were able to crush, and how did that impact your life?
0: The one belief that, uh, again, I thought. I had to have was money. I thought I had to have my own money to get started in this. And the way most people talk, it seems like it's true, but it's not. You can buy your first investment. You can buy many investments without using a dime of your own money. If you research it right and work hard enough at it.
1: Definitely. And that's probably the biggest misconception. I see people think that they need millions of dollars in their pockets before they get started, but in reality, that's not true. Yep. And number three, what advice would you give to someone who is considering investing actively or passively in real estate for their first time?
0: The best advice I would have is, um, I know it's cliche, but the location, location, location. Okay. Just because it looks like a great deal on paper, you might want to pull up that map and make sure that it's, you know, a great deal on the location. Uh, And then make sure that the numbers work. So make sure that you're, you know, you put some, it doesn't have to be super conservative because you don't want to ever analyze yourself out of a deal. You want to make sure that you're looking at it realistically. Um, So just make sure that you've analyzed the deal, but also don't make it look um, uh, better than it actually is.
1: Right. And number four, what is your favorite real estate business or personal development related book?
0: My favorite real estate book is... Uh, a book by Sam Zell, who is a billion dollar real estate investor. And he wrote a book, an autobiography called Am I Being Too Subtle? And it chronicles his life of how he kind of walked into real estate. But the reading between the lines in there, you can see that he worked really hard. He really tried to find ways to make deals not find ways to not do deals. You know, I run into a lot of investors uh, on the buy side, you know, I work as a broker's agent or as a buyer's agent, excuse me, uh, to where a lot of people try and find a way to not do a deal. But Sam always looked at a way, how can we get a deal done here? And so that's one thing that I've taken from that book and applied it to uh,
1: the, the real estate world. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that one out. Yeah, it's great, man. And Alex, where can the listeners get a hold of you? So,
0: the best way to get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. Uh, obviously, search for my name, Alex Olson, O L S O N, on LinkedIn. Uh, there's probably a bunch of other Alex Olsons out there, but hopefully you can see my face and know it's me. Um, and then, of course, you can email me. I respond to emails all the time Alex at Clemens Real Estate. That's Clemens with one M. Uh, but Alex at And those are the two best ways to get a hold of me.
1: Awesome. Well, Alex, it was great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for adding so much value and teaching all of your creative financing strategies. Yeah, man. No problem. Appreciate it. Thanks for the time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast. For more resources or to connect with us further, please visit our website www.baileykramer.com. We'll see you next time.